Hi, I'm Will. And I'm Luke. And this is Will, Will and Luke, Luke Discuss. A vodcast. And podcast. Where we discuss content related to psychology, personal growth, self-development, and well-being. This, this episode, episode, we're discussing... Nathaniel Brandon, Six Pillars of Self-Esteem. I've uh, spoke to you about this earlier in the week and I was uh, feeling like Mate, a right nerd. But, I'm not yeah. going to let you get away with that flashy bookmark you got yourself there. Show oh, that yeah. again. It's Cambodia. Yeah, ten thousand Cambodian God. Rupees. <laughs> yeah. Oh god. No, Indonesia. Indonesia. Uh, there we go. It does yeah. look semi familiar to me. <laughs> okay, yeah. Um anyway, uh Nathaniel Brandon, Derailed. Six Pillars of self, Self-Esteem. Yeah. Um, yeah, feeling like I've just watched a really good movie. And yeah. I've just kind of got that same buzz you get after you watch a, a cracking film in the cinema and you, you're getting that buzz. And I was, uh, I remember you, you sent me the audio version of this about six years ago. Um, <laughs> Sounds like whilst I was over here. Yeah, so, <laughs> yeah, you sent me the audio version of the book. And um, yeah, I, I remember funny like useful the couple of chaps i listened to them but i never read the full book so reading yeah. the book um now was um was great yeah really glad you recommended it and really glad you chose to bring this one up to talk about awesome tell me about this uh feeling like you've just watched a great film what do you mean by that ah <clears throat> oh, I, I, I feel like it's one of those books that so if i describe it in the context of a good movie a good movie i find is like easy to follow but has a lot of depth to it at mm. the same time so i found it really clear easy to read so many um i know you said this to me as well like so many just little bits of gold in there there's so many like mm. quotable bits that you read and you're just like oh god there's another and another yeah. and another just like one thing after another because i i really got into it um and you know i've never read a book like this so so quickly it was just such a page turner i mm. kind of Glad we're going to get a chance to slow slow it down a bit and go through it. Um, I wonder if you just want to quickly explain to people listening what we're going to do in regards to um, doing this in two parts. Yeah, mate, uh, you've gone well out of sync again, which will be in the recording, so we should sort this out. I'm really glad you enjoyed it and that you've uh, taken a lot from it because, yeah, like Nathaniel Brandon and his works have uh, been really inspiring to me for a long time. Hmm. Is there anything you could give us a couple of sentences about like who he is and what, yeah. what it works about? So from from my perspective, like I without too without giving a life story, I like really got into philosophy in like my late teens and early twenties. And in studying a bit of political philosophy, I came across uh, libertarianism, objectivism, and the work of Ayn Rand, and that's where I discovered Nathaniel Brandon, who was sort of a protege of hers. Um, and through philosophy, he um, started diving into psychology because philosophy, it's, it's like our worldview and our belief systems uh, completely determine how we behave and how we feel. And that he saw the real work of philosophy is in, uh, in the psyche. In, in, so he ended up going into psychotherapy and actually inspired me to do the same. So he was a massive influence of mine um 
And yeah, I listened to his philosophy lectures religiously for a few years and then dove into his more psychological works, which this is the peak of. He kind of describes in the introduction, like, yeah, you know, he's yeah. written all these books on self-esteem from like, I think maybe even the late 50s, early 60s, up until this one, which he published in 1994. Um, and he over that time, because he basically started this self-esteem movement and then saw yeah. it like really being taken off course and uh, like turned into something that was, he was actually very against. So, so having started something and then seeing his sort of baby being. Uh, <laughs> I never met. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to say that word that came into my head, but like <laughs> being uh, turned into Rude. something yeah. he fundamentally disagreed with. I think this book was like a, a counter to, to that and um i guess to yeah finish the story off like yeah part of my self-esteem journey which was significant was a time where i um went traveling alone for four months around southeast asia and i remember on my way i think it must have been on my way home from there i was in an airport looking for youtube and uh i found out that he'd just died and i remember shedding a little tear for him sat down in the airport so uh Conclude, oh wow concludes that story yeah yeah well it sounds like it's had a real impact on your life and, um, mm. yeah you've, you've listened to a lot of his a lot of his works and read a lot of his books this one um yeah kind of from the the feedback I, i've read on it that this is kind of his his masterpiece his um the, the peak of his works around yeah. self-esteem <clears throat> yeah. yeah yeah so um what if you could just give a bit of a introduction about how we're going to break up this book into two different parts over the yeah. next two podcasts. So the book's split into three parts. We've got the, like, what is self-esteem and why is it important? And then he goes into what we can do about increasing our own self-esteem. So the internal mechanisms and practices we can put in place. And these are the six pillars, which the book is titled after six pillars yeah. of self-esteem. And then the third part is the external factors. So like, your pet, the your upbringing you had, the way you were parented, your schooling, your workplace, the things that affect you externally that affect your self esteem. So, uh, because we both loved it so much, and there's I'm sure a lot to talk about, we're going to cover the first part: what is self esteem and why is it important, and then the first three pillars of self esteem, and then cover the next three pillars and the external factors next time. Okay, great explanation. There we go. We'll get straight into it. It seems mm. like there's going to be a lot to cover. So I think a good place to start would be on his definition of what self-esteem is. Yeah. And he breaks this into two parts. So one part of this is around self-efficacy and the other part is around self-respect. Um, yeah. I think it might be useful if I just read out what those definitions are yeah, and we can go into do. them a bit more. So um, the first one in relation to um, self-efficacy is the confidence in our ability to think and our ability to cope with basic life challenges. So that's the first part. Yeah. And the second part in relation to self-respect <clears throat> is confidence in our right to be successful and happy and, and a feeling of being worthy, deserving, entitled to assert our needs and wants, achieve our values and enjoy the fruits of our efforts. Mm. Quite lovely, isn't it? Nice, <laughs> nice definition he's got there. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so really... Um, I. <laughs> I'd never really thought about it in those two ways. It's it's a 
it's a phrase that gets thrown around quite a lot, doesn't it? Self-esteem. Yeah. Um, and it's often, it's often related to confidence and how you, um, yeah, like feelings about yourself and self-worth. Yeah. But I, I never heard it broken down into those two definitions before. Yeah, I remember finding this really clarifying when thinking about it in these two parts. And he obviously talks about how they interrelate and one influences yeah. the other. But, you know, this, this self-efficacy being the, uh, a, a basic confidence in our, like, internal locus of control, our confidence in our mind to handle the basic challenges of life mm-hmm. um, versus, I guess, expecting others to uh, tell us what to do or to provide us information of how to live. And then, um, yeah, this self-worth side of feeling like you've got inner value and that you're worthy of being happy and that your wants and needs are worthy and you're you're entitled to express them as a basic fundamental human right he speaks a bit about how um there's an interrelation between trusting ourselves and trusting our minds so if we trust ourselves we trust our minds and the decisions we make and the actions Mm. we take and if we trust our minds we therefore trust ourselves and overall this is kind of a a disposition that we we have if we have mm. those two factors of self-efficacy and self-respect yeah there's a a general feeling of trust in the decisions we make and about who we are as a person yeah that word disposition i think he he uses this in another uh perhaps a more succinct definition later on. It's like the disposition to experience yourself as um, competent to handle life's challenges and, and worthy of happiness. Um, Mm. So actual self-esteem is this experience. uh, And he talks about later in the practices that that the practices themselves aren't self-esteem like we we can't directly choose like just change this experience of ourselves hmm. but but by doing the practices that's a route into changing the way we experience ourselves yeah that's what he calls um re- reciprocal causation oh, yeah. that the like what generates good self-esteem is what is also expressions of self-esteem as well mm. so that by by doing these practices that he talks about we're able to to build our self-esteem but also by yeah by practicing those things it's seen by other people as well as an expression of self-esteem and that's, yeah. that that leads on to a interesting point he makes about self-esteem that it also affects the way that other people treat you as well yeah it's like yeah. self-fulfilling so mm. just on that that note i was i was gonna use the analogy of like health you can't sort of directly uh like health is is physical health is something that's um like in you and you can do practices to affect it sort of indirectly Mm -hmm. by the way you eat and the way you exercise um and there are some external things that can just catch you off guard but but in general you you have a lot of impact on your health and self-esteem is the same it's like an experience you have of your competence and worth 
which you can't directly just go in and tinker with, but there's things you can do to um, change it over time. He um, he talks. He gives so many good examples of you know the way in which positive self esteem benefits us and negative self esteem is detrimental to us. Yeah, I suppose the ones that stood out to me. Um, I'm sure you can add to this list is that um, it's wide reaching, so it allows us to go for for big goals. It makes us a better communicator. It makes us um, clearer in you know getting our needs met. It allow and the bit I liked in particular was that it allows us to live better because we can respond better to situations and people in our lives. That that was something that stood out for me because when I think typically of going into a situation where I'm feeling um, I don't know maybe fragile or unconfident or yeah. maybe just a bit low on self esteem, when I compare that to a time where I'm feeling yeah feeling confident about my abilities and my worth. Yeah. I communicate a hell of a lot better and I feel like yeah. I make a lot clearer decisions as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah. That reminds me of what he says about like when we're in a place of lower self-esteem, we, we're acting more based on fear, like fear of mm. getting approval, fear of getting validation, fear of saying the wrong thing and getting disapproval. Whereas when yeah. we're in a place of high self-esteem, we're acting from a place of enjoying life and like, wanting to go towards things because it feels good to live by your values. It feels good to enjoy the fruits of yeah, your labor. Yeah. So it's like, I guess in terms of like habits and conditioning, it, when we have higher self-esteem, we're heading more for the carrot than for the stick. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> he, um, he talks about it as well, that it's um, having positive self-esteem is more reality based. Yeah. Whereas negative self-esteem is that feeling of being, you know, very sensitive to error nothing that we do is good enough as well. I de yeah, I definitely latch onto the bit around it being reality-based. You know, we'll go into that bit, um, you know, one of the pillars around um, living consciously and um, that ties into that. But it's, yeah, seeing things for what they are and responding to the world as it comes at you yeah, and yeah. putting yourself out there in the most authentic way possible as well. Yeah, um, yeah. I wonder if um, there, there's a link here he does speak about this being a habit. And I know we spoke oh, about yeah. that a couple of weeks ago. Um, but the, as we, I suppose, go through the uh, six pillars, yeah. th these are habits we can build and not something that we need to be... Um, the aim isn't necessarily like perfection, but it's working towards um, yeah, that's a good these point. pillars. Because yeah. they, they can come across as sort of uh, daunting to imagine living by yeah. them perfectly but he's talking about like just by you know two three four five percent changing slight like bit slight habits towards them is is going to be self-esteem increasing so um mm. yeah that's a good point to bear in mind mm. you, you mentioned the ways in which um like you can like the effects of self-esteem, like the, the, how you can see it in other people and how you might be in mm. yourself. Um, I was wondering if there was more of those that came to mind, like what you might notice about someone if, say, they were in a place of low self-esteem. Yeah, I, ma I made a couple of notes about the ones that stood out to me um, yeah. from, from the list he gave. Um, just the overall sense that someone has a... Um, there's an ease and a, a spontaneity about them. They're flexible. Yeah. They're not overwhelmed by anxiety. And the bit that stood out in particular was that 
they're not at war with themselves that mm. they, they can handle handle change and they're able to experience joy as opposed to just um avoiding pain yeah which, yeah yeah so the, he says there's just like a general ease and he talks about the posture in which they hold themselves and the way they speak you know speaking clearly and they yeah. stand tall and they um make good eye contact and things like that it's not hard to see how um if you were able to master or work towards these six pillars that you could um that that would lead you behaving in that certain way or at least holding yeah. yourself in that way yeah he talks about like muscular tension and like how you know mm. if you're in a place of low self-esteem or you can see it in others you maybe you're more sort of rigid in your movements and a bit more yeah. awkward maybe um you might mumble more in your speech or it has kind of less musicality to it just generally yeah. less self-expressive it's kind of like don't see me because i'm scared of being judged or invalidated yeah. mm. I was wondering if there's um, any any benefits of having um, like high high self esteem that stood out to you in the early stages of the book. I think like this idea of, I guess the, the big one, this idea of like growth and fulfilling your potential. Like if mm. you're um, if you're living by fear of disapproval of being invalidated ex- invalidated externally then you're not going to be living towards what's like most true to you and fully expressing who you are and obviously along the way that's has all its anxieties and preoccupations that goes with it over time that can turn into sort of a depression if you become mm-hmm. completely powerless um and then the flip side of that being that not uh, simply, yeah, not, not caring what other people think to the point that, you know, mm. if you live by your values and your integrity and you are, you thought about that and you're living by that, then what other people think about you really doesn't matter to you if, if you have that high level of self-esteem and I'm not mm. talking from a pedestal because I'm, I don't feel like, although I feel like my self-esteem has increased over the years, I, I don't think I've got to that point I just described, but um, to aspire to it certainly sounds exciting. Mm. Yeah, there's, um wanted just to paint a full picture about the, the introduction, whether we could talk a bit about the, um, the downsides of having poor self-esteem. Yeah. One that stood out to me was um, just around intimate relationships and how people with low self-esteem tend to go for low self-esteem partners and people with high self-esteem go for high self-esteem partners. Yeah. And um, yeah, he really goes into it. It's quite a, a full on analysis of it, but basically yeah. he says that um, the people with low self-esteem have a, you know, have a fear of rejection and pain. So they go for people who don't condemn them. They go for people who adore them mm. and they, they fulfill out that self-fulfilling prophecy of that I'm unlovable. So they, um, yeah, and they have like a really poor self-concept. So they, they pick people who it's kind of doomed to fail. Mm. Um, is that your understanding of that? 
I remember, yeah, to- him talking about, yeah, if you feel you're unlovable, which I guess would go along with um, low self-worth, then, yeah, you can either sustain a relationship in which you're not happy mm-hmm. and that, that fits your self-concept, so that would work. <laughs> um, yeah. or, you have, or if you do become happy, you, there's a sort of tendency to sabotage it in some way. Mm. And is there that general overall feeling that if you have poor self-esteem, you have poor self-concept? Uh, I think in terms of self-concept, he was referring to kind of Carl Rogers' model where self-esteem is one aspect of it. Um, okay. It might also include your kind of the way you... But yeah, it also includes things that might not be anything to do with self-esteem, just like uh, neutral things like how tall you are and that you were, oh, okay. but you're English. And, but yeah, yeah, in terms of the things, and, but it also might include your sort of ideal self. like the, um, So your, yeah, self-esteem is, is an aspect of self-concept, but not, not the full picture. There's something he talks about as well in the intro around pseudo self-esteem. Yeah. And how people who basically have this, this fake self-esteem can present themselves quite well and quite strongly, but they, um, that there's this illusion of control. So they can be quite controlling in their lives. Also, um, very self-protective. Um, and that they, he says that they, um, they don't pursue authenticity. So it's all about protecting themselves, looking good to others, appearing to be doing the right things, but actually they're incredibly fragile and have very low self-esteem. Yeah, that reminds me of um, in Reinventing Your Life, there's this idea of counter-attacking your your Mm. schemas. And um, like earlier when we were talking about posture and speech patterns and like you can sort of, you can mimic that in a way that's inauthentic yeah. and perhaps mm. get away with looking like you're super confident um, when actually... But when threatened, it comes, it's all, all comes to surface? All comes yeah, to possibly. Surface. Or that just yeah. like you have all the successes in the world, but inside you, you still don't experience yourself as fundamentally good enough. So you, you, it might look to the outside world like you're super successful or something and super confident, but you you don't you miss out on the chance of actually enjoying any of that because you fundamentally don't mm. see yourself as worthy of being happy i think most people could come up with an example of people they know or at least a famous musician they know that yeah suffered fr- suffered from that same sort of um low self-esteem or whether it manifests itself as um you know anxiety or a poor self-concept um yeah, yeah, I think that's where the difference out. between these two mm. aspects of self-esteem can come in because mm. you can be um, incredibly successful and competent at something um, with low self-esteem being the driver for that. I, similar to what we talked about with mindset, right? With John McEnroe yeah. and stuff. Like, yeah, like yeah. The, the, the getting validated uh, externally because if you're external if your locus of evaluation is always external, then 
then you can strive to mm. be perfect and perform and do really well to get to consistently get that. Yeah. And you might be incredibly successful and competent, but then the self-worth might not necessarily catch up with that if your driver for it is external validation. And when your locus of evaluation is from an internal place that you're living out by your values, you're yeah. doing what's important to you, you're expressing your needs, you feel worthy of um, the praise you get, and you feel you know confident in your ability to face life's challenges, then you're in a far better place to um, live a more authentic life and not have to put up these protective barriers to appear to be a certain way. When, yeah. like, when deep down there might be some people who are just scared and they put up this this front yeah. um, of of security, which he would call pseudo self esteem, which serves as a yeah. entirely protective mechanism. Yeah, so someone with higher self-esteem would be okay with sharing that they were scared or anxious or yeah. felt feeling guilty. Like, yeah. there, wouldn't, there wouldn't be a moti- uh, massive motive to hide that away and, and be sort of incongruent about it. Mm. Yeah, one of, the, one of the pillars gets onto congruence. I'm sure we'll get onto that later in the podcast. Yeah. Um, um, so th- I think we've done a good job of describing it. Um, I'm curious yeah. about some personal reflections, like sure. if, uh, I know there's a potential for this, you know, self-esteem as he talks about goes right to the core. So there's, uh, um, obviously talk about what you're comfortable talking about, but like when you reflect on this definition of self-esteem and yourself and re- reflect back on life, how, what? what came up for you yeah i guess it gets me thinking a lot about how for me it fluctuates depending on the situation i'm in um and that would it kind of goes a bit back to what we spoke about in mindset last week around um uh you know the fixed and growth mindsets what situations i go into but i genuinely feel i have a lot more confidence in my ability i guess when i'm doing situations that being in situations that are like quite exciting to me and I'm already naturally open to going into them. So with travel or maybe starting some new exciting work, I've, I feel like I do bring, bring a higher level of self-esteem if I already know um, it's something I enjoy and I know it's going to be beneficial for me. Whereas when I go into situations that I already know I'm scared about going into such as, um, you know, social situations or large gatherings involving, um, particularly like other people drinking and things like that. Yeah. I feel the, the aspects of poor self-esteem come out a lot more. I, I can be a lot more fragile, a bit more protective, a lot less open, um, very closed off and not ex- able to express myself as much. So for me, this relates a lot to how I express myself and how I verbalize yeah. my needs and wants and worries. Um, and you feel I, you're more ex- yeah. self-expressive in those first situations you talked about than in the second. Yeah. Yeah. I feel it, it depends. It can quite strongly depend on external factors. Yeah. Sometimes if those external factors are particularly scary or intimidating to me, I feel like I kind of revert back to those poor self-esteem behaviors. 
Um, I also think it stood out to me as well around the whole like perfectionist side of me, like wanting to do things perfectly or not oh, yeah. at all. Um, that feeling of kind of like always wanting more, nothing I do is never enough. And yeah. it's interesting you say, because it, it comes from a place of drive and wanting to do more, but it shows itself as um, poor self-esteem in this. So yeah, there's a few scenarios. Was, was that clear? Is that sort of... Yeah, I think so. Give you an idea. I was, yeah. uh, I, I'll share this and you'd let me know if it fits or not. But I'm, I was curious whether... So in terms of acting in line with our values, when you said it, it's interesting, you highlighted two examples where you might be more self-expressive and have higher self-esteem mm. and ones where you weren't. I was wondering if the first ones were activities themselves that you were doing were more in line with your values, whereas the second ones might have been places you didn't really want to be and doing things you didn't really want to do anyway. Yeah, I, I think that'd be... jumping the gun, but... No, I, th- I think that that's correct. Yeah, because when I think of, um, you know, travel and um, doing challenging work, they're things I, I really value and I want to, I want to be yeah. doing. And also, I guess I've built a level of confidence in doing those things as well. Yeah, yeah. Whereas I feel like with um, large social gatherings where like a lot of people are drinking or um, meeting lots of new people who I necessarily don't want to meet as well um that's something that i don't think i've ever gotten particularly good at and still um like scares me so i haven't even got like a baseline in which to feel comfortable doing something i don't want to do so i was i've never been comfortable in the first place whereas with travel and, and kind of reflecting on your four months in southeast asia you've built up a confidence and it doesn't mean that like when you go to a new country, it's not a little bit scary or you meet a new pe- group of people at a hostel, it's not a little bit scary. You've built up a bank of experiences and um, you know, you know, challenges you've faced yeah. which allow you to operate with higher self-esteem in that situation, even though it's scary. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, um, so when we're acting based on drive and desire, I think you know, from a, from a, like a humanistic standpoint, we're, we're going with our actualizing tendency. We're, we're going with things that are kind of true to our true self, what we actually want for ourselves. Whereas if we're doing activities where, um, there's maybe like peer pressure to do it, or we feel like it's, it's, um, we're doing it to get some sort of validation or it's more of, it's coming from a place of false mm. self. Then I, I've been thinking about this recently with client work and stuff where the, the basis, sorry, I'm going to jump back. The basis of like behavior therapy is that when we face our fears voluntarily, we grow and, and um, we can overcome those fears. Yeah. But I've noticed that, if those fears are things that aren't in line with our values anyway, hmm. uh, a silly example, let's say I'm, I'm scared to go shoplifting, but overcoming yeah. that fear wouldn't increase my self-esteem because it's out of line with my values. So like I can, hmm. I can put myself in scary situations, but if they're things that aren't true to myself anyway, yeah. then I don't think it ever feels right. And I might be projecting a bit because I've had my own thoughts around... Um, 
I don't know, binge drinking and partying and things where I'm like, is it that I'm not comfortable and I want to like do this more and express myself more in these situations and practice <laughs> or, yeah, yeah. or is it that I actually, this isn't, do I want to be binge drinking and staying up late? Like, is it cause I, is it, is it more towards the line of the shoplifting thing where actually this activity itself isn't in line with my values. So it's never going to feel that comfortable as doing something I really want to do. Yeah. I think that's a really interesting point. I hadn't thought about that. I guess in general, it, it feels easier to be more open to stuff, even though it's hard and scary, but if it's something you want to do or you've put yeah. as one of your goals, then obviously it's, um, it, you're going to be more open to that opportunity. But then when it comes to, yeah, something like that, I've, it has made me wonder, like, do I like going to parties and drinking? <laughs> like, is that, is that just something I don't want to do anymore? I guess to tie it back to self-esteem, I'm just thinking of someone who has like high self-esteem, they're able to express their wants and needs in situations that they don't want to be in. They feel yeah. worthy that like <clears throat> my well-being and worth. Yeah is more important than doing things I don't want to do. Or yeah. if I have to do things I don't want to do, I'm able to operate in a way that's comfortable to me. So for example, I'm just thinking of someone who has like extremely high self-esteem. They would have no qualms whatsoever about not drinking at a party when everyone else is drinking. Yeah. <clears throat> that's, yeah. that's kind of what one example I think of. Yeah. Yeah. I'm thinking of my uh, friend, our friend, Harry, who I'm sure he won't mind me mentioning, but like, He's been uh, gigging for years. He's a musician, makes all his money in um, two or three or four different bands and groups. Mm. Uh, touring, he's been doing this for years. And throughout it all, he's, he's been in bars, clubs, pubs every night. And it, he not touched a drop of alcohol in like six, seven years. And yeah. I think of the peer friend, <laughs> every night is going to be someone, oh, mate, let me buy you a drink. That was great. Like, it, it's just... Yeah, and he strikes me as someone mm. with high self-esteem, with strong self-worth, and ease in standing up for what he knows is true to him. Mm. And I think that's a really great example. It's uh, yeah, you, you <clears throat> see it in different aspects of life, don't you? Someone who you know doesn't take feedback um, negatively, or you know isn't too sensitive to that, or someone who's able to in those situations just say what they do and don't want to do. Yeah. I'm sure he's more than comfortable to express why he doesn't want to and doesn't feel the pressure to to drink if he doesn't want to do that yeah, yeah. um yeah it's it's and um, also the um sorry just on that point yeah comfortable i've seen this before so i'm, I'm happy to say it on his behalf but like comfortable to explain it on people who genuinely sound curious but also comfortable not to give the time to people who are sort of doing it judgmentally like Oh, why aren't you just fucking drinking? <laughs> that kind of peer pressure yeah. judgmental. He won't entertain that. Um, but if someone's like, oh, that's cool. How come you stopped uh, drinking? Or how come you don't drink? Then he'll have that conversation. Yeah, exactly. I've, I've thought that a lot about um, yeah, what, what I share with certain people, like making an assessment about whether I want to share that with them, whether this serves a purpose or whether it's just kind of a, a shorthanded conversation. Yeah. Just, just like that, you know, just kind of do, what, how much do I want to share and what in line with my values, what do people need to know about me and what can be left, left aside? Yeah. Yeah. I guess it depends on context, doesn't it? Exactly. Yeah. 
Hmm. Well, I'm wondering whether we um, we dive into the first three pillars yeah. of self-esteem he talks cool. about. Yeah, I think that's uh, served as a good introduction. We've given a couple of examples, and yeah. yeah, I'm sure it'll all start to make a bit more sense when we go through them. Um, so the first one is living consciously. Yeah, the practice so, um, of living consciously. Yes. So, um, oh, did you want? Yeah, yeah, do you yeah. want to talk about that? It's a focus on action he talks about, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah. So yeah. Uh, this is the second part of the book, The Six Pillars of Self-Esteem. And yeah. it's all about internal things that we can do and do could be an actual action or it could be um, guiding your attention internally. Mm-hmm. So um, uh action doesn't have to just be physical behavior it can be like yeah. moving your focus of attention rather than avoiding certain emotions or thoughts or something like that yeah so these are all practices these are all habits um so each one of the pillars starts with the practice of the practice of yeah because he talks about um self-esteem is a consequence of internally generated practices mm. So yeah, actions or convictions you have about yourself. And he says, yeah, small steps is a way to integrate these into our lives. So yeah. thanks for reminding me of that. Yeah. That's so, right. And uh, I want to say on that as well, that uh, he also explains why he did this first. Cause he, he could say like, um, well, would it make more sense to explain how our self-esteem has developed in childhood first and then talk about adulthood. But he's saying like, no, by, by talking about, what are the uh, expressions and practices of self-esteem that we're aiming for, then we can sort of reverse engineer, reverse engineer uh, good practices of say parenting or teaching mm. based on that. So um, that's why he put this Rather first. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, thanks for reminding me of that. So the, the practice of living consciously. So the bits that stood out to me is um, that we're responsible towards reality and not our feelings so we're um and the choices we make lead to the reputation we have of ourselves they're two bits that stand out to me yeah okay can you expand on that a bit yeah so i guess if we're responsible of towards reality and not our feelings we're i guess it makes me think about like able to see things clearly that we, we have an active mind and we're not being passive to the world or to our feelings Mm. so we're not just responding to how we feel on a whim or in the motion but in in, sorry in the moment but we're actually consciously seeing things for what they are Mm. and having a i suppose what you call a a clear mind Mm. so you can notice notice um instance in your life as they arise and confront them yeah in line with reality so you're not warping anything with with feelings or um, maybe misled, yeah, misled statements. Yeah, I just jump in and clarify some of that because I, um, I know you don't mean this, but it could come across as sort of uh, a, a denial of feelings, perhaps. And there's mm. this there's this term, uh, this cognitive distortion in in cognitive therapy called emotional reasoning, and yeah. it, it says that. Um, it's when we make a conclusion based on how we feel. So if I'm scared, there must be a dangerous situation. If I'm mm. guilty, I must have done something wrong. 
if I feel angry, there must have been a real injustice. That person must have done something really mm-hmm. bad. Otherwise, I wouldn't yeah. be feeling angry. So um, living consciously wouldn't be to deny that we feel that way, but it would be um, not using that as our only source for um, determining what is true and real. It's perfectly yeah possible to feel furious and for no one to have done you wrong in any way it's perfectly Mm. uh, possible to feel really guilty or ashamed and not have done anything to warrant feeling that way um it's perfectly managing that yeah it's perfectly acceptable that sometimes we feel anxious and there's actually nothing to be afraid of so Mm. noticing that gap and that distance would be living consciously and it wouldn't be denying those feelings it would be um really choosing to look at them He lists um, a bunch of characteristics. Um, do, did, you, did any of those stand out to you? Do you remember the list there was? He goes like the living consciously entails and he does a whole list of them. Oh, yeah. So there's a couple that stood out to me. Um, so one of them was noticing and confronting my impulses to avoid or deny painful realities. Mm. That was one of them. And the other one is... Um, being receptive to new knowledge and willing to re-examine old assumptions. There were some good ones there, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. Uh, c- Tell me about them. Tell me about why. Yeah, so I, I think um, there's, I guess in my experience, there's just been a tendency to, if something like painful or worrying comes up, I've, I've normally found a way to either like think about it logically and just let it, you know, uh, ra- rationalize it and just move on. Yeah, and I guess that can come across as ignoring, um, ignoring the reality of my life that I'm actually feeling that way, and yeah. this is what's going on for me. So I guess I really like the way, like noticing that and willingly confronting that impulse to avoid reality. So like being comfortable in the unknown, or uh, sorry, being comfortable in the unknown, or sitting with that discomfort mm. stood out to me with that one. Um, yeah and then the other one that stood out to me was um, yeah continue reflection on action and purposes so yeah I, yeah I like how that I mean that's something I feel like I do quite regularly anyway but um, I guess it's just keeping track of your your intentions and whether you're living in line with reality or not yeah just digesting that yeah so so living consciously, I think it's it's about uh, like choosing a philosophy that's like I I want to I want to live in line with truth and reality and not deny um, mm. any aspect of it, whether that's external, whether that's internal, and so that's it's. Um, I thought a lot about mindfulness and meditation in this section of the book. Because mm. like mindfulness practices have us, um, you know, scan the body, notice all the sensations in the body, notice our emotions and our breath and our visual field and what we can hear. And I feel like those skills can um, are really helpful for noticing um, those times we, where we might be trying to push away an uncomfortable feeling or yeah. deny a truth we don't want to look at or keep pushing back a thought that's trying to sort of press itself upon us. Mm-hmm. 
yeah, it's it's a good starting point, isn't it? Yeah, I think for all of these, like, it's, a, it's a good one to start on. They all do build on this this one, doesn't it? It um yeah yeah he does talk a bit about it, I, I like how he did bring in some I guess the the mindfulness movement as it is now might not have been as um rampant as it was in 1994 but he does allude to at the end of the chapter around how breathing exercises and how um like opening up your body systems to mm. to feel everything and oh, yeah. feel reality is is a positive thing. I like, even though it was like one chapter, I feel like it was nice. He did acknowledge that research at the time had suggested that we're able to live more consciously if we do meditative practices. Yeah. He talked about massage as well, didn't he? Like, uh, he did. Yeah. But yeah, to he share, I think he shared some personal experience of it as well, that it helped, helped him to live more consciously by getting massages that, you know, it's so easy to deny aspects of your body and mm. um and yeah in the last year or two i've really gone uh gone deep into my yoga practices and like there are things i know about myself which uh i just wouldn't have been aware of before like i can i i know like the personality of for example my hips and i know that one is tighter than the other mm. um uh, I know like my, my calves are more flexible than my hamstrings. It, it just things like getting used to knowing different parts of my body. And although that might not necessarily be the kind of consciousness we are generally avoiding through defense mechanisms, like, mm. you know, avoiding certain emotions or avoiding uh, facing certain circumstances. I feel like those kinds of practices are good habits to uh, climb the ladder up to those more harder things. Like, mm. um, I guess it kind of reminds me of like, I don't asking someone out or telling them how you feel in a romantic way. It's like by doing that, you're opening yourself up to the reality of how they might feel about you. And by avoiding it, mm. you're, um, choosing to sort of live in the darkness. Yeah. I'd rather not know than know. Yeah. Well, I guess that, that, he talks about you know living consciously inwardly so it makes me think about your meditative pra- meditation yeah. practice and yoga how you're getting like an idea of your your body and your the senses and the feelings you have in certain situations but then there's the living consciously outwardly which makes mm. me think i guess a simple example is like if you're walking through the park that you're not like looking at your phone that you're seeing mm. nature as it is and you're seeing the girl you're asking out as she is and you're hearing your response as she says it there's nothing there's nothing blocking reality coming into you i guess it's a general sense of living within reality and just seeing things as clear as possible yeah that's what i that's my main takeaway from step one yeah yeah and why do you think we might uh or or are there certain aspects you notice that you might have a tendency to want to deny or not look at or keep at bay I think um, in particular, I'd say with me, and this would be an expression of um, poor self-esteem at times, is with eye contact. Oh, yeah. I know I can sometimes, if, if I'm intimidated or scared or nervous, I guess in particular to um, dating situations, um, my eye contact can go a lot. And I feel like I'd, I close off physically mm. um, in those situations just to kind of, look after myself whereas if i was 
living a bit more consciously and a bit more open to my feeling of discomfort, mm. open to their reaction fully as it came back to me, I think I might be able to maintain better eye contact and communicate clearer because I'm able just to see it in its entirety. Whereas yeah, if I'm yeah. cutting off bits of reality from the situation and I'm cutting off parts of myself that I don't want to show, yeah. then the interaction becomes inauthentic, yeah, I feel. Yeah. And I might not be getting a, as truthful a reaction as I could or I might not be feeling it the way I could be feeling it. I'm not experiencing life to its fullest if I'm not practicing living consciously. Yeah, yeah. Mm. And it reminds me of what you said earlier about um, it being self-fulfilling. So if we're not uh, expressing and engaging in our communication, then we're probably going to get less back from the other as well. Mm. And if we kind of see ourselves as as smaller and we're looking down, like they might take that more authoritative position because it sort of balances it out and all that stuff just reconfirms how we see ourselves. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And and this entirely affects how other people act towards us. Yeah. As you just said, you know, like people, and there's some people who would respond well to someone, um, yeah, acting smaller or shying away like they would like those situations so you might only ever see them as that sort of person yeah whereas if you you bring bring the best of yourself you might hopefully see the best of them yeah it's a nice it's a refreshing thought to think that people could see you for entirely who you were and you see them for entirely who they are yeah yeah if everyone if everyone lived consciously i imagine our interactions would be a lot more authentic and maybe would last longer or last for a less amount of time. (laughs) (laughs) At least last more honestly. Yeah. Yeah. I'd like to leave now. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Thank Um, you. Yeah. yeah. Me too. (laughs) It reminds me. So um, I'm thinking of more practical examples in my life. And one that's come to mind is for, for quite a while I would notice, um, like checking in email, checking emails and then seeing ones from people particularly say my manager at work and then it would give me a pang of anxiety and I just wouldn't open it <laughs> and leave it for later yeah so right. that, that's yeah. a definite aspect of like I'm choosing to uh not allow in aspects of reality that are important mm. for my functioning for the sake of living in ignorance yeah um, yeah because, you know, if I, I don't know, maybe um, a few years ago or something, I, I was more nervous of hearing about client feedback or, or, or if she was questioning my practice or something like that. It's like I'd feel awkward about that conversation. So I would mm. keep that at bay. And um, I guess in terms of practicalities, the, the atomic habit stuff is... Uh, helped with that because I, I don't just randomly check my email now i've been like i check it at this time and i check it knowing i'm going to engage with everything that's in there until it's done yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> don't shy away from it yeah. yeah yeah so um mm. that's just a little one that popped into my head yeah he um he talks about and maybe this requires a bit of an explanation around yeah. um sentence completion so at the end of every yeah. 
um, pillar, he introduces these sentence completions that you can do. And he asks you to fill them. He gives a series of questions. So for example, um, one question from this pillar is, um, if I was to bring a high level of consciousness to my work, and then it asks you to write down up to, you know, between six to 10 endings to those as quick as you can. Yeah. And you're supposed to do that across the week. And at the end of the week, you go, if anything that I've written um, appears to be true, then I should. So mm. one example, yeah, is around if I brought higher consciousness to my work, if I brought higher consciousness to my relationships, if I brought higher consciousness for you, it could be to my emails, if yeah. I brought a higher level of consciousness to my physical well-being. So yeah. I guess in general, it's interesting, and you can do these exercises if you get the book, but it's interesting to think about what areas of your life if you lived more consciously the outcomes would be xyz and for me those outcomes would be more authentic relationships um i would face more challenging work situations a bit more openly yeah and i would i'd be less distracted there are three answers that yeah. come to my head when i think about this are there any things that you've thought about in regards to the sentence completions or what that brought up for you? Well, just as you were talking then, one that came into my head was, and probably off the back of what I just said about client work. Um, so I was reading some Yalom recently. He's a psychiatrist who uh, writes a lot of case studies. And he was saying how like, he always, at the end of every session, leaves a few minutes to talk about um, so how how are we doing today? Like how is our relationship and how how mm. is what we talked about to you? How do you feel towards me today? Yeah. And um I guess reflecting on that, it's yeah, I might I might sometimes uh not want to do that. <laughs> I guess I yeah. like fear of like, oh actually I felt a bit distant or um were, were you really in tune with me today? Like the idea of hearing that sort of feedback, which it would just be their, their true honest experience. And I, um, you know, my higher self really wants to do this and wants to know that, mm. uh, there's that part of me that's like, um, why, you know, the, the scared parts, like why, why invite feedback <laughs> when it could be <laughs> negative? Like it, it's, yeah. like, it sounds suicidal, like, but, um, so I've, I, that's something I've tried to be more, aware of and leave a bit more time for mm. to ask how my clients are experiencing me and how they feel in relationship how we feel in yeah. relationship to one another just being open to hear that that's um mm. a challenge in my life that's and a really great example thanks for mm. sharing that i think that's a, that's a really good one um yeah, oh, yeah i like that yeah it's just something something extra you can do on top of what you're already doing just to check that side of relationships being um I guess being addressed that you're not shying yeah. away from it and getting too caught up in other tasks. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess like that how, can happen in yeah. um, general romantic relationships as well that, you know, 10 yeah. months can go by before they've had an honest conversation about, I don't know whether it's something as simple as household chores or the feelings of intimacy or love in the yeah. relationship, you know, like not shying away from anything, but um, I guess. So they can be actively seeking it. Uh, mm. as you just said and there can also be like so there can be a place where you feel like everything's fine in say a relationship um but you still check it out anyway and there, but worse than that there can be like you know there's an awkward tension there 
and you still choose to just ignore it and not talk about yeah. it and like let it go on um, rather than, I guess they call it the elephant in the room, right? It's yeah. Like, uh, a good example <laughs> of not living consciously would be not addressing elephants in rooms. <laughs> yes, yeah. <laughs> I think this, this actually does lead on really well to um, pillar two. Um, yeah. So the the practice of self acceptance. Yeah. So in particular to the um, the second level. So in this one, he describes that there's three levels of self acceptance, and he says that this is something we do. So the first level, um, if you're happy to move into this, yeah, yeah, um, go for it. Yeah. The f- the first level is um, to be on my own side, and um, an orientation of self value. The second level is a willing, so this ties into what you were saying earlier, yeah. a willingness to experience thoughts, feelings, and actions. That yeah. um, these thoughts are my thoughts. These actions are my actions. These feelings are my feelings. Um, yeah. Ties a bit into kind of accepting situations like I'm feeling what I'm feeling about my spouse. I yeah. have, my concern is my concern. And the third level is um, something I think you'd be, um, probably apt to talk about is um compassion to self in particular with yeah. your um compassion focused therapy yeah um i reckon it'd be nice to go through all the three levels so yeah. first one first level to be on my own side and an orientation to self-value and he does throw in the word um to be selfish but he means that in an entirely positive way which yeah. i thought was quite quite refreshing um yeah it's a, it's well, a great this comes off. Uh, yeah. Sorry, just to jump in on that, but there's, this comes right out of the objectivist philosophy. Um, he was involved in in his earlier years. So, right, like, yeah. Ayn Rand wrote a book called "The Virtues of Selfishness." I think it was called that. And so, like, it's talking about how we like there is a culture of uh, self-sacrifice, which is. Um, unhealthy but seen as a virtue so like it's it's often seen that you know a a good person will sacrifice themselves for others but but the the universality of that would be that everyone's miserable trying to make everyone else happy yeah yeah i think that (laughs) yeah i'm just saying that is just resonating that's yeah okay, so on. so it would be <laughs> yeah. actually be a virtue to you know look after yourself but as they say on airplanes right um you know they don't say make sure you get your kids mask on first and then sort yourself out it's like get your own oxygen mask on before helping anyone else and i think we can be as well as that being um more just better for everyone it's actually more practical i think we're in a much better and happier place to be able to uh, help and contribute to others once we've feel in a good place ourselves well that's a starting point we we have in the um in the drug and alcohol work i do at a one of the detoxes here in melbourne um you know we we really hammer that home to the clients we're working with a lot of them are going you know i've got to get better for my family i've got to recover from you know that there are addictions, you know, I've got to be better for other people. I want to be good for my work. I want to be good for my yeah. son. And all of us say to them, like it's kind of a um, universal message we have is that 
like get better for you first, improve yeah. your health for you, like work on your addiction for you. Because it seems yeah. like sometimes, and this would be the general public included, that people can be against themselves, very downbeat about their condition or how they're traveling in life, but they feel this insane <clears> amount <throat> of pressure to do it for other people, to be there yeah. for other people, to self-sacrifice for other people. Whereas the first um, step of self-acceptance is doing it for yourself, being on your own side, being your number one fan almost. And that comes from a place of self-esteem because um, if you believe you have value and that you're um, fundamentally worthy, lovable, then you can believe that I can believe that about you. Mm, <laughs> so if you, yeah. if you, if you know, Will thinks Will is worthy, then it makes sense that Luke can think Will is worthy. And yeah. then if you really care about Luke, you can believe Luke cares about Will. Therefore, Luke wants Will to be happy. So like you're, yeah. by, by looking after yourself, you're, uh, you're also like giving joy to me. Like I want you to be doing well. I don't want you to be sacrificing yourself for me and like sacrificing mm. your health and your well-being to like do shit for me. Like I want you to be doing well. You know? Yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd say in general, personally, I've it, it feels hard to distinguish, but I've I've always I felt like th- this level I'm a, a little stronger at in a on a practical level. Yeah. that I will do things for me. I, will, I won't spend a lot of time doing things that I don't want to do. Um, and I try and do things of value that are meaningful to me, like in a practical sense. But in a, um, I wonder if in a, I guess, yeah, less practical sense, like mentally, whether those convictions are true to me and whether they, they're actually something that's in my mm. daily um, self-talk around like, right, yeah. Yeah, self-acceptance is, you know, it's an action that I do take, but I wonder whether it's something I need to reflect on a bit more. Internally. Internally. Yeah. So can you tell yeah. me how that's expressed internally then? I, I understood Inter- the externals. Yeah. I suppose I, I, I experienced like a lot of self-doubt and nerves, as I say, I'm tickets to social situations or, yeah. um, doing challenging things at work. But my response to that is often to, you know, knuckle down and just do the most practical, deliberate, purposeful thing for me. But maybe I've skipped over the reason why I'm doing that for myself. Right. So am I doing this just because it's like a, um, a practical, rational way to address that fear that yeah. I might be not feeling good enough in that situation? Yeah. I just kind of jump to the um, jump to the solution as opposed to kind of um, yeah yeah look internally and go actually what, what am I feeling here Do, am I feeling that maybe I could be a bit more compassionate to myself in this situation or yeah um, sit with this comfort for a bit longer rather than just trying to solve the problem straight away yeah yeah this reminds me of um, this idea of the experiencing self and the remembering self yeah and this has been 
playing a role in my life recently since I've tried to instill lots of new habits and um, address projects I've been avoiding and that sort of thing. I found that, uh, you know, when we did Atomic Habits and I was talking about this new exercise routine I'd implemented and we talked about the potential for the whole house of cards to fall down. Yeah. Uh, Well, just update. It hasn't. I'm still going strong with it. But um, I was about to ask. (laughs) (laughs) uh, But I think why the house of cards can fall down is is because I, even though I'm uh, doing well in terms of things that are for my remembering self, so I'm doing things that when I look back on at the end of the day, I'm like, yeah, really pleased I did that. When I look back at the end of the week, I was like, oh, that's that's going really well. I think I. The, the times at which the house of cards falls down is when I'm not paying enough attention to the experience in self and like, am I actually mm. enjoying this in the moment? And yeah. sometimes, sometimes just uh, stopping to take a breath and, and letting myself enjoy it is all I need to do. I don't have to actually mm. change what I'm doing. I can be in the middle of, of you know, a, a set of press ups and smile to myself that like, yes, like, yeah, like, this is what I want. This I love this. Yeah. Like this is what yeah. I'm living for, and like enjoy that moment. Like I'm enjoying the burn, you know. Um, yeah, especially when you're doing something really meaningful and valuable. It's like you mm. want you want to savor that. You want to enjoy that. You want to mm. feel like you're doing that for you, not just as a means to an end. Yeah, I think that about sometimes. You know, in challenging work I do, I'll have a day where I'm just like flying, getting like shitloads of stuff done, and yeah. it's it's all purposeful and meaningful. Yeah, but at the end of the day, I look back and I'm, I go, "Ah, oh, it's I did some great work today." But then I also look back and go, "I I didn't kind of feel that as I did yeah. it. I was a bit there's Wasn't some sort of consciously necessarily." Yeah, so I guess it, this <clears> does. <throat> I think they all tie together, don't they? But this <clears> definitely ties into the living consciously side. But like, well, you have to be living consciously or... to be able to accept it because uh, you yeah, can't accept what isn't conscious. Mm. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, and he's um. Yeah, he talk, this is that definitely leads on to that bit he says around accepting the disowned parts of self. Mm. So that if we're living consciously and we're practicing self-acceptance, that we're not denying any joy as well as yeah. any um, negative feelings that we're having yeah. on a day-to-day basis as well. And I think that's great you brought up that, that feeling joy yeah. part of it before, you know, allowing ourselves to what makes us happy makes us happy. What makes us frustrated makes us feel frustrated. Like my feelings are my feelings. My thoughts are my thoughts. My yeah. actions are my actions. You know, good, bad, and different. We're, we're not denying any of it to ourselves. Yeah. We are fully accepting and integrating that. And I think the reason perhaps we can uh, use all these defense mechanisms to make ourselves not conscious of certain things. Like we repress things, we deny things, we distort the truth to ourselves and to others to hide parts of ourselves. I think the reason we do that is because they're things we don't want to accept. So it's almost like, uh, we, we don't want to accept them and that's why we're not conscious of them. So again, we're sort of reverse engineering that by making it conscious. It's like, ah, shit, I'm going to have to face that. Yeah. (laughs) I'm going to, and then, um, yeah, although uh, accepting it perhaps comes a bit after being conscious of it. Almost by being conscious of it, you're you're perhaps begrudg- begrudgingly accepting it just by looking at it. 
Well, then the next that that leads on to level two. So instead of begrudgingly accepting it creeping into your consciousness, yeah. it's willing willingly accepting yeah. it, yeah. willingly experiencing um, these feelings, your life, the parts of you that you do and don't like. Yeah, um, yeah. He says in there that it's all me, everything yeah. I feel, everything I do, everything I've been hiding from myself is all yeah. me. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, um, yeah, it's, that, that's a scary thing for some people. Yeah. You know, it's a big part people. of, um, acceptance and commitment therapy. Yeah. Acceptance. Um, naturally it would be, but yeah, sometimes they call it willingness as well. And it's this rather than fighting with or struggling with, um, thoughts and feelings you don't like, like we don't have to like it to accept it. We can, we can just we can be willing to have it i'm just like okay i'm having this feeling that's true that's a part of me i don't like it that's also true that's also a part of me <laughs> i accept yeah. that this is what's happening yeah whereas the the i guess the troubles occur when you start denying those things and in relation to um you know how this would affect poor self-esteem you're you're not acting out of reality so you're responding to fear, aren't you? Like if you're, you're sensing something that's fearful yeah. and you're just finding ways to cover it up or behave over it and push it down, yeah, that can often show itself as um, a self-expression of poor self-esteem. Yeah, and if you're seeing parts of yourself as unacceptable, then you're inherently not seeing yourself yeah. as worthy or valuable. I think that's, that really taps into the core of what people would typically associate self poor self-esteem to be wouldn't it just a seeing yourself as unworthy undeserving yeah not good enough to be in that situation and scared to show yourself to others yeah 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 that'd be the original definition i would have before i read this book well this is the yeah the second part which he usually calls self-worth um mm. i guess you could imagine someone who has self-worth but who is um perhaps completely dependent and assumes that other people should look after them. So that okay, would be having yeah. self-worth, but not having self-efficacy. It's like, well, I feel like I'm worthy of happiness, but I expect everyone else to give it to me. And I'm not going to act on it. I don't have confidence yeah, in like, my ability. Uh, I, to do who, it, yeah. who am I to act to do anything for it? Yeah. Like uh, I don't, I can't know anything. I can't use anything. Authorities have to look out for me. Mm, that is interesting. Um, just to jump to this as a side note, that you could have, um, you know, a strong sense on the flip side, a strong sense of self-efficacy, like a strong confidence in your ability to think and do what's best for you and address basic challenges in life, but then also feel undeserving of any praise you get, yeah. not feeling worthy, um, and not feeling entitled to assert your mm. needs or anything like that. It's it, it's interesting to think like, do you have one or the other or do you have both? I meant to say this at the start, but I conveni conveniently avoided it. But yeah, like I've reflected yeah. on that reading this and I see a massive disparity in myself looking back to that one you just described where it's like yeah. I, I quite early learned that uh, I didn't really trust authorities to tell me what was right or true. Mm. I generally built a disdain and distrust for them and that I took a real sense of uh, self-efficacy that I could learn and I could um, 
develop skills and I, my mind was fully capable of handling life drop me anywhere and i i feel quite confident yeah. i'd be okay whereas the self-worth stuff was much lower i wouldn't like express mm. my needs when you know i remember being like going to friends houses as a kid and um you know if the mom would be like oh do you want anything to eat or drink luke i might say no even though i did like that kind yeah. of yeah that's probably just being English, isn't it? <laughs> nah, no, I'm just, well, nah. um, that's a good point. But um, reading this book again, and it's like, I, I think slow self-esteem is a sort of epidemic because, I mean, we'll get to this next week, but because of the way we inherently see children as sort of inferior and don't respect them, mm. I think like the low self-esteem is very common. And I think yeah, I've I've made notes on um in some of the other pillars around um cultural aspects of this worth yeah. just mentioning that different um uh yeah different cultures have different ways of expressing themselves and experiencing emotion and, and hiding certain parts from each other. Um, I definitely I know we take a bit of a tangent here, but um I definitely feel the same as you in regards to having to learn to have a, a high confidence in my ability and yeah. knowing that I can cope in any situation that I'm placed in yeah. but that the, the self-worth and asserting my needs and feeling deserving of um, yeah, feeling deserving in general yeah. is, is a lot lower on the rung yeah. Um, yeah. compared to that. So I suppose, yeah, the, it's an interesting reflection to think about like how these pillars will, help once I've acted on them to maybe raise that level of um, mm. self-respect as he would call it. Yeah. Um, and reflecting on the book and that particular aspect we've just highlighted of, you know, having a sort of imbalance of being perhaps high, much higher in self-efficacy than self-worth. They're kind of um, learning to be conscious and accepting uh, of enjoying the fruits of your labor as he put it or, or enjoying because you and I were, you know, with things like doing this podcast and um, mm. doing exercise, like probably our perfectionist traits and um, uh, striving ha- will, will put us in lots of situations where we have plenty to um, celebrate and to mm. uh, enjoy the results of. Um, but perhaps this imbalance would have, a, have us more towards a tendency of like, don't feel good about that. Like I'll, I'll ignore rather than enjoying it and yeah. celebrating it and sinking into it. I guess we think about, you know, focusing on a, on a mistake as well. Like you, you might've had like a really great day at work. Um, I guess I'll just talk about myself. Like I could have had like a really great day at work and had lots of like positive interactions. I feel yeah. like I'm living out my purpose, using my skills and all that. But then, you know, one negative bit of feedback can really throw that and it, it prevents me from allowing to enjoy the day I had. Yeah. Almost. Wow, so that's, I guess that's a really clear example of yeah, what we're talking about. Yeah. Just a high level of sensitivity to um negative feedback that that can really take over um or affect my remembering self looking back at the day. It's like I don't look back yeah. at the day as like, oh that was wicked. I like did my morning routine, went to work, smashed it, but then the last thing I did was like not as good as it could have been and then just totally can cloud yeah. my view of how the day went. Well, this is yeah. uh, that ties into living consciously, right? Because if you mm. truly are dedicated to reality, you'd be willing to look back on your day 
in a balanced way and celebrate what you did well and notice that there was this one mistake in the midst of it all yeah. and not blow it out of proportion and look back at your day distorted and sort of discount the positives of uh, yeah. what you did well and catastrophize the thing that went uh, where there was a mistake. Yeah, I, I think this we could use this example um, for you maybe just to talk about the third level, which is compassion to self. Um, so can you remind me of the three again? Because they're not ingrained yeah, so the in my three, memory. Yeah, we did take a little jump on number two. So the first level is to be on my own side. The second level be of self-acceptance yeah. is to be willing willingness to experience. Yeah. And the third level is compassion to self. Okay. Yeah. Because the first, the first and the third are ringing similarly to me. Like being on my own side um, resonates with that kind of being my inner coach, like being someone who's like, you've got this, you can do this. Um, he describes it as an orientation to self, okay. whereas I, I guess with compassion to self, um, it's more I imagine that's yeah, something a bit more active. So with the example of me at work, good day, bad incident, um, well, yeah, bad incident at the end of the day, I guess in regards to self-acceptance, what, what can I do um, to increase the level of compassion to myself? Yeah. In that? I know you've, you've worked in a lot of um, compa- compassion-based therapy yeah, models yeah. and studied that a lot. I just wonder if you could bring that in. Yeah, I think um, the most common misconception is of which I think maybe I have fallen into before when trying this out for the first time is, is being, I was going to say accepting, but obviously we we're talking about that in a positive way. I mean, being like almost too placating to yourself, like, Oh, it's okay. You feel bad today. Oh, it's fine to have another beer. Oh, like if you want letting pizza, yourself off, yeah, yeah. being like really self-indulgent almost. And yeah, not, mm. um, telling yourself it's okay not to face your fears. Like you, you know, it's, you feel scared, like almost wrap imagining that sort of Freudian mother, like wrapping their son in cotton yeah, wool and not letting yeah, her yeah. leave the basement until he's like got to his mid thirties and has a midlife crisis. It's like, treating yourself in that way isn't can be uh the misconception of self-compassion whereas (laughs) like that i think i used this example before but you can be self-compassionate and enthusiastic and encourage yourself and like push yourself to do things that are scary because yeah yeah. you know it's good for your growth so it's it's not compassionate to give an alcoholic another beer it's compassionate to like encourage them towards what they claim to want and what what the mm. what's best for them what's best for their well-being so that for yeah. me self-compassion is also being that inner coach who's you know shouting at myself that i can do the that next press up when i want to give up or something and i can have well, i can have a fully positive attitude while still push myself well he he talks about um that it's around taking responsibility which is really interesting how that links to what you were saying so in being compassionate, you actually take responsibility for the the problem or the the aspect of yourself that you're facing, and you're willingly doing something about it. You're not kind of being passive. And I wonder just that whole concept of like treat yourself and oh, it's just one day, or be kind to yourself and treat yourself to that meal. You deserve yeah. you no. Know, 
it, it could definitely go the wrong way to the point where it's just like, well, you're just treating yourself every day now. Aren't you? <laughs> yeah, you're yeah. building a, you're building habits of just living by treats. You're like, yeah, yeah. It's like you're, there's no limits. Like you're like you would if you were a sort of placating parent who just gave your child everything they asked for. It's like that's not good for them. Like they need to learn mm. to clean their teeth, and when they're in their twenties, they'll hate you if you haven't taught them to do that when they're little. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> So, um, yeah, that, that ties up self-acceptance pillar number two. Um, I reckon we can move on to the third one. Um, I think links into that third level mm. of um, self-responsibility. So he describes this as a sense of control over our existence. Mm. And um, he says this is like really essential to, um, to raising your level of self-esteem. Um, and there's a quote I wouldn't mind starting yeah, with yeah. that I really, really liked. Um, made quite a few notes on this, but uh, yeah. he goes, if I'm not willing to take responsibility for my desires, they're just daydreams. Yeah. So, yeah, I, that, I, that bit really stood out to me. Just um, think, you know, we can have all the, the best intentions and goals yeah. and desires and plans but if we don't take responsibility for doing something about it, yeah, it's just a daydream. Yeah. 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 Love that. <laughs> yeah. I've definitely um, have my own struggles with that. And yeah. So what I've, what I've got here about self-responsibility that you have, con- you're accepting control over your actions, your life and your well-being. Mm. That like your your disposition is to assume that if you're not okay, then only you can do something about it. He gives um same as uh, the other ones. He gives examples of um you know what this entails in a day to day sense. And the couple that yeah. stood out for me was, I am responsible for the level of consciousness I bring to my relationships, mm. and I am responsible for accepting or choosing the values by which I live. Yeah. So, yeah, I like how he gives gives examples of what those are. Those are the two that stood out to me for sure, in particular around relationships. You know, I it's it's totally up to me how much attention and action I put into my relationships. Mm. And I think th- this is the point in which some people can become, I suppose, with with low self esteem. If you didn't feel worthy of a good relationship or good friendships in general, that might not be something that you pursue like if you feel worthy of something and deserving of something then it feels like you're more likely to take responsibility and act on that as opposed to not feeling it yeah and then yeah then it works the other way as well that if you do take responsibilities uh for those things you're casting yourself a vote that I am someone worthy of this. Yeah. And that's, um, that's where it kind of ties into habits as well. Yeah. What we were talking about the other week, you know, if you're, it, it also, it feels like it's a bit of, there's an action and a motivation there as well. That kind of is a bit of a cycle. You need to get the, yeah. the ball rolling on that. So it's, even if you don't feel willing and deserving of being in other people's company, just going along could help you to feel, feel that if you're around good people who you know as an example yeah then you might start to feel better about being around them like oh 
I feel better around being about them. Yeah, maybe, I, yeah. maybe I deserve to feel like this or I'm worthy of being in the company of others. Yeah, so you can recognize that your disposition is to experience yourself as unworthy, but mm. it's you're responsible for challenging that. And you're like, okay, so I'll take if I take the more extreme end of the spectrum is that, okay, I recognize that I hate myself. I have a disposition to see myself as like pathetic and um, rubbish and a piece of shit. Then I think it's so easy from that place to then fall into a depression because Mm. we feel powerless and out of control. Whereas actually the only starting point is to be like, okay, I recognize this and can I find a part of myself that doesn't want to feel like that? And that must be there because feeling like a worthless piece of shit doesn't feel good. Like, and I, I believe in this humanistic um, approach to self actualization and the tendency to grow like, um, yeah. Uh, and that there is a part of us, that does want to overcome that. And it's, it's about really tapping into that and finding it and be willing to treat ourselves as worthy, even if we don't feel like we are. I guess it goes right back to what we were saying about the beginning, about feelings and reality. Yeah. And also um, self, self-compassion as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Doesn't it? And like you I guess can, yeah, yeah, you can treat yourself, self, you can treat yourself compassionately even if you have a disposition not to like yourself, mm. you can still choose to do that. This, um, this pillar for me is like a really like solution orientated one, which stands out to me. I think that's obviously, that's a role that I jump to yeah. quite a lot in my life. So it's, um, I've realized this week, um, that the quote he says in here is no one is coming. Yeah. No one is coming to fix your problems. No one is coming to change the way you feel. No one is coming to um, stop you worrying or stop you getting anxious about yeah. this and that. So I, there was a moment this week, I, I guess I'll, I'll give a, a simple example to start with and maybe another one, but like at work, I walked into work and it was just so, we knew by looking at the, uh, the day sheet that it was just going to be so fucking busy. Mm. It was just like, we knew we all looked at each other and we do, we do these little, uh, like a vibe check on the wall. So we put like a quote for how we're feeling for the day. Yeah. And we just wrote fucked like on the board. (laughs) And like, I remember sitting at my desk, just going like breathing out and just going, this is so fucked. Oh my God. Today's going to be awful. I'm like telling a couple of people in the office, we're kind of joking about it. And then this, this stood out to me. I was like, no one's coming to like, make me feel better about that. Like I Mm. can't just like, and this is something that ties into like others are not a means to our ends. Like other people yeah. aren't there to make me feel better about like the amount of work I've got to do today. Yeah. Like only me can like work. Only me can switch on and become productive. Only me mm. has the, the power to do something about this situation. It was a really interesting like flick of the switch that I had. Thanks oh, to reading nice. this book. So I was, awesome. You know, I guess it depends on what mood I'm in. If, if I go and I'm feeling that doesn't happen every time, you know, yeah, yeah. works busy. But like in that particular moment, I was about to switch to the kind of 
helplessness sort of oh woe is me oh my day is so busy but then like something switched and I was like it's up to me like I've got a choice here like I can look back at the end of the day and be like I just kind of gave up all day and just dragged my heels or I can look back and you know take responsibility so Mm -hmm. instead I kind of I called like a you know a group hander I was like right guys right I'm gonna do this today can you do this who's got like I, I took some actions to um took some actions to make the day better yeah so yeah that, that's a that's a really good yeah, example a recent example um yesterday as well yeah so. i was um initially when i read the six pillars uh struggling with the difference between this uh and the the fifth one of living purposefully but i think okay i think this one's more um whereas living purposely I know we'll get to it next time, but for context of this would be more to like set goals, act towards them and look back on them and reflect and continue that process. Mm -hmm. This one's just more the assumption that like the locus of controls within me, like it's not for other people to, yeah, to be a means to my ends. Um, Yeah. Yeah, Cause, cause the um, living purpose is like around deciding what's purposeful to do. So that would be more, I've decided to come to work today. I'm choosing to do this yeah. job because it's meaningful to me. And but you can only get, yeah. Yeah, you can but only I'm get sorry. to that point once you've taken responsibility that you're like, it's up to me to decide what to do today. And mm. the decision and might come afterwards. But And it's, it's an orientation, isn't it? Yeah, that's it, a good word. You know, yeah. yeah, it's an orientation that I'm, and it goes again back to self-acceptance. These all tie in really yeah, nicely. Yeah. Like, I am my feelings i am my choices like and that's what i was just sat at the desk just going like what my responsibility i i have a choice yeah, now no and one's talks, coming you know, it goes back again to um you know choice points that we spoke about in um you know the road less traveled and yeah. we've talked about in multiple other um in habits as well you know it's, and that's what that's a habit i'm gonna try and build is that when i'm at those choice points where i'm like I'm starting to move away from taking responsibility for yeah. this. Trying to, as best I can, take responsibility for just absolutely everything in my life. Mm. Just every decision, every feeling, every choice. It doesn't mean I have to do something about it necessarily. I could choose to not do something. Yeah. But, um, but you're doing it deliberately more... out of a place of it's my responsibility to choose whether I do something or not about this. And I'm choosing yeah. not to this time. Yeah. Have you got any examples in your life where um, you feel like you've edged away from self-responsibility and then you've kind of decided to take a bit more responsibility and it's benefited you or something like that? I think recently um, what came to mind is so from doing these podcasts with you, um, I've been planning to do some sort of short psychology videos on my own. Is that a plug? Um, <laughs> <laughs> there's nothing to plug yet. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's the point. I'm not taking responsibility for it. <laughs> um, <laughs> and like, so I've, I've had this plan and yeah, through doing this, I'm like, noticing okay so i guess it it fills in all the three pedas we've talked about so far raising my consciousness to when i'm tempted to procrastinate 
like looking at that feeling it's like why do i get the urge to cook now when i've told myself i'm going to sit down and and write this script or whatever like and listening to that and maybe riding that craving and then uh i guess digging more into it and recognizing that it taps into a uh fear of uh yeah if i pursue this i'm setting my self up for potential failures whereas if i don't do anything i'm not um and i guess i'm trying to turn that around to see that the only real failure in life is not trying um but so yeah no i've i've uh put more actions in place I've, i've done a couple of recordings and um i guess there have been times where i'll get to the an end of the day you know, my reflective self will come on. I look back, and our, uh, I might be say disappointed with the amount I had uh, worked on this project. Um, and in terms of responsibility, so this is more yours was more a present in the moment, like what can I do now. This was more a reflective one, but I think by taking my my natural stance is to sort of feel down about it, like to feel Mm. low that I've not um, acted or, or at least or done as much as I had planned or something. Yeah. But that feeling then, but then again, raising consciousness to that, accepting it, but also recognizing, well, actually that feeling of lowness is coming from a, a place of like, I'm not in control. I'm, I'm powerless. Like, Oh, this Mm. has happened again. I've procrastinated again, whatever. Um, and it's not from coming from a very compassionate place and that, um, of, of a more heightened, like, Oh, look, uh, here's another great opportunity. You're, you know, reflecting on your day, you're conscious of what's happened. You're accepting it. And it's a perfect opportunity to look and learn like learn mm. about this pattern and um what was it in the day that led you to urge away from taking responsibility like yeah exactly what like do, yeah. do you need yeah. to make it more specific a habit or um as you look back on it like what did you actually do at what point did your mind drift and at what point mm. did you unconsciously find yourself doing a different activity are you enjoying uh, well, doing this yeah 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 so yeah. it's um and that's been really helpful. Yeah. And I, and I have found one or two times where, you know, I've got into a flow state with, with writing and recording and, um, uh, I've actually been able to enjoy it in the moment as well, which, which is, yeah, nice. but I've, yeah, still been doing some procrastination on it and, um, but yeah, learning to take more of a stance that like, it's not just going to happen. <laughs> like I'm yeah. responsible for, uh, writing it, recording it, telling myself it's done and publishing it. And like, mm. no, like that's not going to happen unless I just, unless ultimately I just do it. Something I've learned from living more consciously. And yeah. I'd definitely say through my um, meditation practice is in those moments, I've learned that in those moments where I'm trying to shirk responsibility, I would usually kind of want to be, seen to be um struggling with it so like typically i'd want like 
everyone to know that I was going to have a difficult day and that it was going to be hard and there was a lot to do. Yeah. But now I'm, I'm even aware of that to the point where I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm actually not going to like bother other people with my problems either. So it's not just about like me addressing what I need to do. It's also about me not dragging other people into my, yeah. into my worry or my problems essentially. So I think it's, yeah, taking responsibility for yourself also can alleviate the people around you as well. Yeah. And how do you understand your uh, desire, your previous desire to to be seen to be in that sort of more helpless state? I think it was more, I guess, just I, as a communicator in general, I feel like before I do something, I like to communicate people where I'm at. Just in general, yeah. I think I, I, I built a bit of a habit of sharing a lot about what I'm doing that day before I do it. Yeah. So I guess in, in that particular moment, it's kind of, I feel, I guess, more justified in my fuckedness if I've like told someone I'm fucked. Right. As opposed to like, just going like, okay, like this is my problem today. Maybe stop using the word fucked. Like just be like, today's going to be a productive day, not a busy day or a crazy. Yeah. So that's something I've definitely learned over the last, I'd say, even like five years, just being really conscious about when I'm deflecting responsibility in subtle ways by kind of telling people. It's like if someone goes, says to me, oh, you know, just do what you can today. I'm like, yeah, I'll just do what I can. Like I'll just Mm. just do do what feels manageable, like almost looking for validation to... Um, take shortcuts, mm. even, that, even, even if that's with the gym. I said to someone, oh, I'm feeling so sore today. Like, I can't mm. be bothered going to the mm. gym. Someone's like, have a rest day. You feel more justified in not taking responsibility. Yeah, yeah, When you're yeah. relying on other people's external, like, validations or rejections of what you're doing, almost. Yeah. Yeah. So you can uh, tell me if this is well off the mark, but what came to my mind was I wondered if... Um, if you express that I'm, um, you know, uh, stressed and um, daunted by this day ahead, then then later, if um, you know, if if you make an error or something slips up, then you've kind of covered your back a bit. <laughs> Whereas if you come yeah, in feeling like I'm feeling really good today, and then like later something happens, you maybe you feel a bit it. more. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. I guess it's just riding that fine line, isn't it? Between, I guess, like being realistic as well. Like if you're overconfident, that shows that you haven't maybe been living consciously or you just don't have a grasp on reality. And whereas if you're, if you're un- underconfident, you're kind of making excuses before you've done anything. And that's right, what people, yeah. you know, people, you know, some, you know, we talk about this with like creative works as well. Like yeah. why are we telling people that like, oh, here's this like bit of writing I did, but it's a first draft. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. I did it really quickly last night and I was really tired and sorry. 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 <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, sorry, you have to read this. Um, yeah. Like, wh- what are we doing there? That, that's, that's an expression of low self-esteem that you're, yeah. not, you're not taking full responsibility going, I wrote this. Yeah. This is the best I could do at the time. Tell me what yeah. you think. This is where I'm at. <laughs> 
yeah this is this is reality yeah i want i'm curious what you think about it i think that will lead on really nicely to self-assertiveness next week around expressing your um expressing yourself expressing your needs your wants Mm. um, your desires and i guess um honoring those as well Mm. i've not thought about this before but it feels like these first three are are like internal practices of orientation and disposition whereas the next Mm. three are more externally expressed so like to, yes. to um to live consciously is yeah is an orientation you're choosing to have on reality yeah. you're choosing to notice when you're tempted to you know um deny and repress and or use uh, there's loads of ways to deny reality we can take substances we can use distractions like tv social media um and then, yeah, self-acceptance is another orientational disposition that, yeah. like, not only am I choosing to look at reality for everything it is, but I'm not going to tussle with it. <laughs> I'm just going to, like, yeah. choose to know that that's the way it is and that's okay. And then responsibility would be, and given that, I'm, I'm the only one responsible for doing anything about these things. <laughs> and that these are all, that this, this is like a nice setup, isn't it? That's a platform for then yeah. the next three, which are active external expressions of that. Yeah, of, um, yeah, pillar four, self-assertiveness, pillar five, living purposely, mm. and pillar six, personal integrity. I think you gave a really great summary there of what we spoke about for the mm. last while. Um, I think that, for me, that's a great place to... To end it, I think you've yeah, you really summarised that well. So we've given a yeah, a bit of a foundation and a bit of an introduction around um, three of the pillars and what self-esteem is. And next week we'll be talking about the other three, which we just mentioned, and the external ways in which these can mm, external influences us. on our self-esteem. Yeah, that's it. External influences. So cool. Yes, yeah, um, I'm glad we split this up. I can't imagine getting halfway through this and being like, "Oh, we've got another three to go." So yeah. I'm glad we I'm glad we um took the time to do this properly because it's a yeah. really fantastic book and um yeah, really encourage anyone to have a read or flick through if you're going to listen to the next one. But we'll uh yeah yeah, I look forward to week, using this as a as a platform to now noticing what comes up for me this week to reflect on next time. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, it's, definitely. Um, it's happened with the other books as well, where like we've talked about it, and that's inspired me even more to the point where I have so much more to say. But we've done that book now. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, yeah. So this is quite exciting that we're going to uh, touch base again next week and talk about what we've learned more. Yeah, cool. Now I'm really excited. Um, <clears throat> thanks again. Um, yeah, we're flying through these. It's been a good, been a good COVID, isn't it? i'm sure taken responsibility and accepted the situation yeah 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 love that all right mate well um yeah chat to you soon and see you next week we'll chat more yeah yeah good to see you mate